Book Three, Chapter Twelve of The Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book Three, Chapter Twelve. Evadne spent eighteen months in Malta without going from the island for a change, but at the end of her second cold season she went to Switzerland with the Malcolmsons and Sillingers, and Colonel Calhoun went on leave at the same time alone to some place which he vaguely described as the continent. When they met again Avadney noticed a change in him, and she feared it was a change for the worse. He was out of health, out of temper, and depressed. He had spent most of his leave at Monte Carlo, but he did not say so at first. He was waiting for her to question him. Had she done so, he would have said something snappy about feminine curiosity. As she did not do so, he lost his temper, went off to the mess, and drank too much. It is a terrible thing for a man to be brought into constant association with a woman who never does anything, in a small way, that he can carp at, or says a word he can contradict. She robs him of all his most cherished illusions. She shakes his confidence in his own infallible strength, discernment, knowledge, judgment, and superiority, generally. She outrages his prejudices on the subject of what a woman ought to be, and leaves him nothing with which to compare himself to his own advantage. This is the miserable state to which Avadne was rapidly reducing poor Colonel Calhoun, not, certainly, of malice prepense, but with the best intentions. He did not like her opinions, therefore she ceased to express opinions in his presence. He took exception to many of her observations, and so she let the words, I think, fall out of her vocabulary, and confined her talk to a clear narrative of occurrences uninterrupted by comments. It was an art which she had to acquire, for she had no natural aptitude for it, her faculty of observation having hitherto served as an instrument with which she could extract lessons from life, a lens used for the purpose of collecting data on exact scientific principles as a matter from which to draw conclusions. But with practice she became an adept in the art of describing the one, while at the same time withholding the other, so that her conversation interested Colonel Calhoun without, however, giving him anything to cavil at. It was like a dish exactly suited to his taste, but delicate to insipidity, because his palate was hardened to pepper. When she returned from Switzerland, she gave him details of her own doings which were interesting enough to take him out of himself, until one day when, unfortunately, it occurred to him that she was making an effort to entertain him, and he determined that he would not be entertained, like a child indeed. She might be a deuced clever woman and all that, but he wasn't going to have those feminine airs of superiority, so he snubbed her into silence, and having succeeded, he became exceedingly annoyed because she would not talk. 
it was opposition he wanted not acquiescence but she was not clever enough with all her cleverness this straightforward nineteenth-century young woman to understand such subtleties she had always heard that the contrariness of women was a cause of provocation and she could never have been made to comprehend that the removal of the cause would be even more provoking than the contrariness the great endeavor of her life had been to cultivate or acquire the qualities in which she understood that women are wanting and when she succeeded she expected to please but she found colonel calhoun as peculiar on the subject as her father had been when she proved that although of the imbecile sex she could do arithmetic colonel calhoun waited a week to snap at her for asking him how he had spent his leave but he was obliged at last to give up all hope of being questioned and then he felt himself aggrieved she certainly took no interest in him whatever he reflected she didn't care a rap if he went to the dogs altogether in fact she would probably be glad because then she would be free she would waste a world of attention and care upon any dirty little child she picked up in the street but for him she had neither thought nor sympathy clearly it was all her fault and she should know it he had treated her with every possible consideration she had never had the slightest cause for complaint he had even stuck up for her against his own interest with her old ass of a father and by jove while she was treating him colonel calhoun commanding a crack corps and one of the smartest officers in her majesty's service with studied indifference she was thinking affectionately of the same dear old pompous portly papa to whom in fact she had never borne the slightest ill-will colonel calhoun was sure although he had done her the injury of allowing her to marry herself to the kind of man whom it was against her principles even to countenance but at this point his irritation overflowed he could contain himself no longer do you know where i spent most of my leave he asked one morning at breakfast no evadne answered innocently at monte carlo he said with emphasis i hope you enjoyed it i have always heard it is a very beautiful place she responded tranquilly its effect on my exchequer has not been beautiful he observed grimly indeed she answered is it so expensive gambling is when you lose he declared ah yes i forgot the tables at monte carlo she remarked quite cheerfully i suppose you can lose a great deal there you can lose all you possess well yes of course you could if you liked but i am quite sure you would never do anything quite so stupid he looked at her curiously you don't disapprove of gambling then he asked i oh of course i disapprove but then you see i have no taste for it this was apologetically said to signify she did not in the least mean to sit in judgment upon him you have a fine taste for driving people to such extremities then he asserted she looked at him inquiringly what i mean is this he explained that if i could have been with you i should not have gone to monte carlo 
Evadne kept her countenance, with some difficulty, for just as Colonel Calhoun spoke, she recollected a conversation they had had at breakfast one morning, under precisely similar circumstances. That is to say, each in their accustomed place and temper, she placidly content, he politely striving to bottle up the chronic form of irritation from which he suffered at that time of the day, so as to keep it nice and hot for the benefit of his officers and men. For Colonel Calhoun in the presence of a lady was one person, but Colonel Calhoun in his own orderly room or on parade was quite another. While in the barracks he was in the habit of swearing with the same ease and as unaffectedly as he made the responses in church. He probably did it from a sense of duty, because he had been brought up in that school of colonel, and in the course of years would naturally come to consider that a volley of oaths on parade, although not laid down in the drill-book, was as much a part of his profession of arms as, Good Lord, deliver us, is of the church service. At all events, he did both punctually at the right time and place, and never mixed his weekday oaths with his Sunday responses, which was creditable. In fact, he seemed to have the power of changing his frame of mind completely for the different occasions, and would be prepared in advance, as was evident from the fact that, if a glove went wrong just as he was starting for church, he would send up for another pair amiably. But if a similar accident happened when he was on his way to parade, he would swear at his man till he surprised him, the man not being a soldier-servant. But what very nearly made Avadne smile was the distinct recollection she had of having asked him earnestly to join her party in Switzerland when he went on leave, and of his answering, no, he should not care about that, and suggesting that she should meet him at Monaco instead. She fancied he must have a bad memory, but of course she said nothing. What is the use of saying anything? She thought, however, that had she been under his orders, the invitation to go to Monaco would have been a command, and the present implied reproach a direct accusation. She was most anxious that he should understand perfectly that she quite shrank from interfering with him in any way. One night, not knowing if he were at home or not, she had occasion to go downstairs for a book she had forgotten. There was no noise in the house, and consequently, when she opened the drawing-room door, she was startled to find that the room was brilliantly lighted, and that there was a party assembled there, consisting of three strange ladies, loud in appearance, one or two men she knew, and some she had not seen before. The majority were seated at a card-table playing, while the rest stood round looking on, and they must have reached a momentous point in the game, for Avadne had not heard a sound to warn her of their presence before she saw them. Colonel Calhoun was one of those looking on at the game, and one of the first to see her. He changed countenance, and came forward hastily, conscious of the strange contrast she presented to those women, flushed with wine and horrid excitement, gambling at the table, as she stood there, rooted to the spot with surprise, in her gold-embroidered ivory-white draperies, with a half-inquiring, 
half-bewildered look on her sweet grave face it was a vision of holiness breaking in upon a scene of sin and his one thought was to get her away there was always that saving grace of the fallen angel about him he never depreciated what he had lost but sometimes sighed for it sorrowfully i beg your pardon for this intrusion evadne said looking at him pointedly so as to ignore the rest of the party i did not even know that you were at home i had forgotten a book and came for it will you kindly give it to me it is called she hesitated but it does not matter she added quickly i will read something else good night and she turned smiling without seeming to have seen any one but colonel calhoun and calmly swept from the room st monica the complacent i should say one of the men suggested or vengeance smiling with murder in her mind said another no a saint for certain jeered one of the women why not say an angel at once cried another i shouldn't have thought calhoun could keep either upon the premises laughed the third the lady you are pleased to criticize is my wife gentlemen said colonel calhoun lashing out at them suddenly his face blazing with rage the women tried not to be abashed the men apologized but the game was over for that night and the party broke up abruptly when they had gone colonel calhoun looked about for evadne's book and found it not a difficult matter for she had a bad habit of leaving the book she was reading open and face downward on any piece of furniture not intended to hold books by preference a chair where somebody might sit down upon it this one happened to be upon the piano stool colonel calhoun glanced at the title as he picked it up and reading a vision of sin understood why she had shrunk from naming it he appreciated her delicacy but he feared the discernment which had shown her the necessity for it and he determined to disarm her resentment next day by making her a proper apology at once he went down late to breakfast expecting black looks at least and was surprised to find her calm and equable as usual and busy keeping his breakfast hot for him i wish to apologize to you for the scene you witnessed last night he began ceremoniously i think i owe you an apology for taking you unawares like that she interrupted cheerfully giving her best attention to a very full cup of coffee she was carefully carrying round the table to him but i hope you understand it was an accident i quite understand he answered sullenly but i want to explain that those people were also here by accident at least i was not altogether responsible for their presence they were a party from one of the yachts in the harbor i met them here at the door just as i was coming in last night and they forced themselves in uninvited i hope you believe that i would not willingly bring anyone into the house whom i could not introduce to you oh i quite believe it she answered cordially you are always most kind most considerate but i fear she added with concern that my being here must inconvenience you at times pray pray do not let that be the case i should regret it infinitely if you did 
when avadne left colonel colquhoun he threw himself into a chair and sat chin on chest hands in pockets legs outstretched before him giving way to a fit of deep disgust he had always had a poor opinion of women but now he began to despair of them altogether and this comes of letting them have their own way and educating them he reflected the first thing they do when they begin to know anything is to turn round upon us and say we aren't good enough and by jove if we aren't isn't it their fault isn't it their business to keep us right when a fellow's had too good a time in his youth and suffered for it what is to become of him if he can't find some innocent girl to believe in him and marry him but there soon won't be any innocent girls here i am now a most utter bad lot and avadne knows it and what does she do apologizes for appearing at an inopportune time now beston's wife would have brought the house about his ears if she'd caught him with that precious party i had here last night and that's what a woman ought to do she ought to care she ought to be jealous and cry her eyes out she ought to go down on her knees and take some trouble to save a fellow's soul it may be mentioned by the way that if avadne had done so colonel colquhoun would certainly have sworn at her for meddling with things she'd no business to know anything about it was however not what he would but what she should have done that he was considering just then that's the proper thing to do he concluded and i don't see what's to be gained by this cursed cold-blooded indifference articulation ceased here because the startling theory that a vicious dissipated man is not a fallen angel easily picked up but a frightful source of crime and disease recurred to him with the charitable suggestion that a repentant woman of his own class would be the proper person to reform him ideas which settled upon his soul and silenced him being full fraught for him with the cruel certainty that the end of all true womanliness is at hand end of book three chapter twelve